Hello and welcome to Finding the Glitter in the Gold, a Lord of the Rings chat podcast. Uh, my name is Hannah. And my name is Zoe. And we are going to talk about the works of John Ronald Rayl Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, as a general disclaimer, he was writing in this universe from 1937, when he was about 45, all the way up to his death in 1973. And he created the wonderful works of Middle Earth. But in all that time, he never made an internally consistent narrative. And so, like so many people before us, including the man himself, we are just going to be talking about stuff. And if we get it wrong, it's because we're making shit up. <laughs> so today I'm excited because we're going to be get to hear a bit about the history of Middle Earth, which is um, tangential to our topic of the day, which is, in fact, wizards. <laughs> I have been confused about Lord of the Rings wizards for the entire time that I've been consuming Lord of the Rings media <laughs> um, because they are apparently a whole different race from the race of men um, and the race of elves and like everything else. They're their own thing. And what kind of led me to this was a, a Tumblr post that I sent Zoe by um, rocket power without any vowels in it, the dot tumblr.com who says that comparing Gandalf to Dumbledore is childish, not because it's pointless to argue about such things, but because Gandalf is so many leagues beyond anything Dumbledore could ever hope to have achieved that it's like, why even bother? Why even attempt? Gandalf is literally an angel and he knows how to smoke and party. The only thing that could take him down was a literal demon. Even then he just resurrected stronger than ever before with some sexy new clothes. Dumbledore lost to a chemistry professor. And so this raised a lot of questions for me. <laughs> which I got really excited to answer. But it does mean that you kind of need to go like dive into the depths of Lord of the Rings history, AKA the Silmarillion, AKA like the genesis of the Bible of the Lord of the cool, Rings. Cool, To respond to the actual Tumblr, it is true, Gandalf is not a human being. He is a primordial spirit, essentially. Ooh. They outwardly resemble men, partly to give them the restrictions of men. So are they always old men? Um, that is the way the Valar created them to be when they went to Middle-earth. So that look on your face is precisely why I ended up going back to the very beginning of the Silmarillion for a very short history lesson because there's going to be a lot of words like the Valar and the Anur and, the, and Arda uh, and your eyebrows just raised halfway through your forehead. So let's dive into this. Wizards are spirits of the Order of Maiar, who are the followers of the Valar, and the wizards are also known as Istari. And so I went back to the Silmarillion, and some of this is also covered in Unfinished Tales, both of which were published by Tolkien after he published Lord of the Rings. And the Silmarillion starts as thus. There was Eru, the one, who in Arda is called Iluvatar, and he made the first of the Anur, the Holy Ones, that were the offspring of his thought. So, some definitions in there. Eru is like God, the God, the creator of Middle-earth. Like with any God, he doesn't have a source, he just is. Obviously, Christianity played its role in this entire... Well, technically, isn't the creator J.R.R. Tolkien himself? Yes. But he wouldn't see it as that because he saw himself as the translator of the Red Book of Westron. So he, in his mind, he is the translator of this world that he created because it existed. 
much like you know the celtic gods and goddesses existed and they just wrote down the myths of them okay the honor are beings that encompass the valar and the maiar the they were the first and mightiest of beings created by uru before the beginning of the world and the world is called arda so these spirits the honor helped create the world through what is called the Ainulindale, which is the music of the Arner. So basically, and this is what the Silmarillion is, it, it starts with the recounting of this song. In Tolkien's world, like the entire world was created by a song and by harmony and the, the actual physical singing by the owner of the world into being. Beautiful. I love that. So the song created Arda and the owner descended into the world to help order and guide its growth and they helped to prepare it for the children of Iluvatar, which is the elves and men. So the children of Uru are elves and men. So just elves and men? Yes, okay. just elves and men. Which is interesting. Like, there's no reference of dwarfs. There's no reference of any of the other beings of Middle-earth. And the world of Arda is where the peoples of Middle-earth and Valinor live. And so Valinor is the lands across the water where the Valar live on Arda. It is also known as the Undying Lands. And that's where they go into the West. Yes. There were 15 powerful Anur. 14 became the Valar. And the last, the, the 15th of that, his name is Melkor. And he represented evil. He turned from the path and became the first Dark Lord. In the song, he literally started a discordant harmony to try and take more power from the song until Eru came in and fixed the harmony and then Melkor tried to change the harmony again to take power and control and then Eru had to come back in and fix it until finally the song was finished but Melkor had already created evil. Okay. So that was the creation of evil. Evil is the attempt to grab power then. Yeah. Anything selfish, greed, the, the want for power. Okay. Yeah. So the lesser owner who came, who went down to Arda with the Valar became known as the Maiar. And then the wizards are Maiar. Essentially, wizards are part of the, the lesser powerful primordial spirits that were created at the beginning of time. Okay. So there, there was one branch of this tree of these 14 spirits. The, there were 15 really powerful owner who were the Valar. Yes. And then all the other owner, there wasn't a number given to there. There were just the other beings that were created who weren't as powerful as the Valar were called the Maiar. Okay. And the wizards are part of the Maiar. And elves and men are? Separate from that. Elves and men were created later on the world, and they had to be woken up uh, in Middle-earth. There wasn't really a sense of time that I could get, but like the waking of elves and men happened way later. There was like like the first age of Middle Earth. There weren't even really elves and men. It was a bunch of fights between most of the Valar and Melkor and the Valar trying to keep Melkor from causing harm. And the Valar even completely abandoned Middle Earth and just lived in Valinor on their own. So Melkor had power over Middle Earth and like just destroyed everything. But then the Val Valar were like, well, we don't really know when and where the children of Iluvatar are going to wake up. They might actually be in Middle Earth. Maybe we should get our butts back over there and try and find them 
tangent, but another interesting fact about this is that the elves that first awoke in that time in Middle-earth became orcs because Melkor found them and tortured them and basically destroyed them. Oh. That's where the orcs came from. Oh, that's so sad. elves awoke and lived in Valinor, which is why they can go back across the water when they want to leave Middle-earth is because they originally lived in Valinor. And then... Way later, down the line, men came to be, but the Valar hadn't told the elves that men were going to wake up, and so the elves got angry, and that created another entire war. I could keep going with the history, but it's going to go off onto a long, long, long tangent. So, during the first age, before elves and men, when Melkor was being all bad, his name got changed to Morgoth, who you might remember the name from The Hobbit. Because that was the same evil dude who was waiting out in Mirkwood who Gandalf went to fight. Oh. They drove away the evils of Morgoth into the forest of Mirkwood, and then he had his stronghold in Angbar. And then there's that entire bit in the Hobbit movie when there's like the ghosty tendrils and Radagast the Brown is there and they go to fight the evil that has woke again. That's Morgoth, aka Melkor, coming back to life. Okay. And then later he's Sauron. Sauron is Morgoth's highest lieutenant. Morgoth turned Sauron, who's just a being. He was one of the Maiar who decided to follow Melkor. So he was kind of like a wizard that turned bad? Yes, he was like a wizard that turned bad. Uh, Also, fun fact about the Anur, there was one of them, a woman named Melian, who married a child of Iluvatar. It didn't specify if it was elf or man, um... But it is through her that the essence of the Arnor entered the bloodlines of elves and men. And so Elrond was one of her descendants, and so was Aragorn. And that is why Aragorn has such long life. Because he is distantly, distantly related to the, the, the Arnor. Now we can get to when the wizards went to Middle-earth and their entire shindig. Sweet. To go back to Sauron and Morgoth in the Undying Lands, uh, the leader of the honor and king of the Valar, Manwe, who was one of the original honor, became aware that uh, the Dark Lord Morgoth's Lieutenant Sauron was rising to power once again, because he had kind of been banished along with Morgoth when they first controlled him in the first age, and then he got power. Manwe summoned a council, and the Valar decided to send three spirits, the Istari or wizards, as messengers to Middle-earth to protect the people and remind them that the Valar had not forgotten them. Originally, there were five known as Tari, but only three stayed in Middle-earth, and the other two continued to go east, and they aren't really part of Middle-earth at all. Like, you kind of, you never really hear about them. They had their own um, adventures that aren't really written much about, although there is some speculation that they also turned evil, like Saruman, uh, and then were subsequently kind of destroyed. But you know, we don't really hear a ton about them. So the, so the Istari were... Gandalf, and Radagast, and Saruman. They have really fancy names. <laughs> like elvish names? Well, they have their, like, the original Valar names, and then they have elvish names, and then they have Westron names. Oh, okay. And as I mentioned, the Valar gave Saruman, Gandalf, and Radagast the bodies of older men so that their abilities would be somewhat limited and they would not try to take dominion of Middle-earth like Sauron had. Sauron was like them and then trying to take control and blah, blah. The other two who, like, disappeared, did they, were they old dudes, too? Um, it didn't say exactly what body they were given, but my guess is that, yes, they were also older men. I'm kind of trying to picture this, and 
what did people in the West look like? It doesn't really say. I mean, they're, they're called like primordial spirits. So they may or may not really have bodies or my guess is they might look like elves if elves lived in Valinor and the Valar also were of Valinor. They might have had similar bodies because that was their, in their likeness. Yeah, I'm wondering, it's just interesting, like you get sent on this mission to remind the people of Middle-earth that the Valar still care about you. And they're like, but also you get this body and oh my God, it has so much back pain and the knees are fucked and like you've got old hands. <laughs> well, that was part of it because they wanted the, they wanted the Astari to be able to feel hunger and pain and loss and anger and all of these like, quote unquote, human or hobbitish, whatever, emotions, so they would understand what it meant to be a being of Middle Earth and not be this magical spirit that was immortal and had so much power. Like they wanted them to be able to have compassion for the travails of the people of Middle Earth. If you're an old man and everything hurts, you're going to be like, oh shit, maybe everything hurts for everybody. (laughs) Everybody have arthritis? God damn it. God, that's really cool. That's an interesting way of limiting that kind of power. Right? They are still immortal, though. They are immortal, unless they get cast out. So, like, Saruman, he was the leader of the White Council. And then Gandalf defeated the Balrog in the Mines of Moria. Gandalf was reborn. He became Gandalf the White. He went and overthrew Saruman and broke Saruman's staff and threw him out of the Order. So because Saruman had strayed from the path, and turned to evil, much like Sauron, or Morgoth, Melkor for that matter, he lost his powers. He lost the ability to be in the council, so he was no longer immortal. And then they threw him off the tower, and he fell on the wheel, and he got impaled and stuff. In the movie? Yeah. In the book, there's like an entire four chapters at the very end. Talk about a very long ending. Jesus, we thought the movie had a lot of endings. (laughs) There's another entire chapter where they go back to Hobbiton and Saruman and Grima Wormtongue have showed up in Hobbiton and they've industrialized it and torn things down and everything is belching smoke and the river is full of waste and they find Saruman and they're like, wait a minute, you motherfucker, you came here and messed everything up. Wormtongue, what are you even doing? Why are you still following this asshole? And then Merry and Pippin and Sam and Frodo have to save the day again with their knowledge and their ponies and being in big wars <laughs> and kill Saruman and Grimm and Tom. Dang, like sword through the heart kind of? Knife, but yeah. I mean, it's a sword to a hobbit. Right, yeah. Saruman does not die that way. He does eventually die. And we have a whole episode planned about talking about industrialization and hobbits. Yes, we do. <laughs> Yes, we do. You know, it's Saruman who wrecks havoc upon the innocence and naivete of Hobbiton. Yeah. So tell me more about these wizards. They're all old dudes who cannot die. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. And, like, the magic that Gandalf does is not, for the most part, incredibly flashy in there. There's moments in the movies. But um, mostly it's like he can light his stick up. And he amuses children with his fireworks and he gets loud and the shadows are like scary and stuff like that. But like, other than that, it's very hard to see him doing magic. That's powerful. He's more just like 
very knowledgeable and very direct and very like clear in what needs to happen. He's kind of like the the person pushing the plot along throughout that. And that's a powerful position to be in, but it's not necessarily doing something outside of the realms of other people's possibility. I mean, he do, but he does have power. Definitely. No, like, and he exercises it for sure. You see him arguing with people, you see him asserting but he knows what to do next. And he's the one, again, who's like, here's what has to happen. He knows how to research to figure out what the ring is and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, he's a, he's a powerful person, but it's more powerful in a practical sense, it looks like, and less so in a, like, I can move things with my mind. I can control the elements. I can call down lightning or something. I'm thinking like Dungeons and Dragons kind of spells. He doesn't really do a ton of those. Harry Potter kind of spells. Yeah, nothing with the Harry Potter. He is he is no Dumbledore. But that was the point of like when the Valar sent them as messengers, they were meant to go persuade via knowledge that they had come here to help. Like they couldn't convince like they couldn't magically control somebody or make them believe something. They had to prove simply with their powers of knowledge and persuasion rather than magic. That's pretty cool. And they and they do it in different ways. Like I don't have a ton of um book knowledge about all of the wizards and like all I have about Radagast is what's in the movies and he's kind of he's not interested in talking to people so much and he's more about the animals of Middle-earth and then Gandalf and um Saruman are both on this white, white council, right? The white council. Technically yeah. Radagast is part of it as well. Really? Yeah. All the all the wizards are. They're part of that White Council. All five of them. But then the, the two wizards, they were called the Blue Wizards, who disappeared east. Radagast fell in love so much with the birds and the beasts that he kind of just abandoned the mission and apparently ended up just living in the forest. Gave up on humans. I don't know if that means that he also was no longer part of the council, but then also they end up, the, the wizards end up leaving Middle-earth on the ships with the elves because they're no longer needed. Oh, I see. So the the two in the east disappear and we don't know what happens to them. Saruman gets killed by hobbits and then Gandalf and Radagast go back home. Radagast doesn't go back home. Radagast just stays in the fort. Like he just gives up on being a wizard. He loves the animals and the beasts so much that he just stays in the forest. That's interesting too. Are you really surprised though? I'm, I don't know that I'm surprised, but it's it's just kind of intriguing that these people had such a specific mission, which was to help the people of Middle-earth resist evil and conquer it. And then one of them, like three of them technically completely give up on the mission. One of them gets dragged to the dark side and the, Gandalf's the only one who stays the path on this. Gandalf, also fun fact, Gandalf originally didn't want to be one of the Astari. He originally didn't want to go as a wizard, as a messenger to Middle-earth several of the different Valar were like, hey, we can send our follower, this guy. Oh, hey, we can send this guy. And then one of them was like, hey, Gandalf, do you want, do you want to go to Middle Earth? And he was like, nah, not really. Don't, I, I kind of want to go do, do this different adventure thing. And they're like, no, 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 you're going. You, you got to go. He's the one who stays with it the most. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably had, you know, I mean, obviously he was the one who wasn't corrupted. He was the one who stayed the path. There must have been something they saw in him to send him. They they weren't given any further direction apart from like, do not use your magic on people, even though you technically do have it. What kind of magic do they have? 
Uh, Gandalf can shapeshift. Fun fact. Into what? Anything? Let's see. It doesn't really say. Where are you getting this? Online. Uh, like on Wikipedia? Yeah, it's like a Lord of the Rings Wikipedia fan page. Lord of the Rings Wiki. He wandered around Middle Earth in a quote-unquote uncertain form before he actually was given the form of Gandalf. So apparently he was kind of given that form after he arrived at Middle Earth. And then he gets a new one once he kills the Balrog. Yes. But it's kind of the same as the old one, just whiter. I think there, there was the, needed to be the continuancy of image so people could recognize him. Otherwise, no one would recognize him as Gandalf. Because when he comes back, everyone's like, Gandalf, you're alive. And he was like, Gandalf? Oh, yes. I once went by the name Gandalf. You may call me that. But it's almost like he had forgotten that that was what he had been called. Yeah. And he did keep the, the elvish name Mithrandir as well. He, he'd also responded to that. But I guess he kept the same face so that way people would recognize him as who he was. Uh, his voice has power. Yeah, we see that. Yep, he can command things. Mostly when he yells at Pippin. Yep. Well, when he yelled at Pippin, but also when he drew Saruman from Theoden King. Because Theoden was being basically controlled by Saruman from afar. Another, I mean, another wizard power, right? And then Gandalf spoke and with his staff drove Saruman from King Theoden. That's fucked up that they can still control people from afar. Like, they were told not to by the people who sent them. They were like, don't use your power to control people and just make them good. You've got to persuade them. And then Saruman was like, hmm, but I can't. He went on the path of evil. Ooh, he's telepathic and telekinetic. It's like that, so that fight in Orthanc between Saruman and Gandalf. Yeah, that's an awkward fight to watch, honestly, because it's just like two old dudes like glaring at each other and then suddenly they just start bleeding. But it makes more sense if they're not old dudes, they're spirits that look like old dudes, right? So then like just imagine some like spiritual form thing fighting. That looks a little more cool than Yeah, I mean I'm not I'm not complaining, but it was definitely a fight where they sort of make kind of these tough guy faints at each other, but it has a very tangible reaction. And the telekinesis makes sense in that sense. Mm-hmm. He, uh, let's see, he disarms an adversary at the pyre of Denethor when Denethor is basically setting himself on fire and trying to kill Faramir. There's a moment when Gandalf disarms one of the guards just by waving his hand, kind of like a Jedi. Again, telekinetic. He can create smoke, fire, and lightning. That's That's... That's fine. You can make little uh, smoke ships and stuff, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's probably more for the fun of it and blowing pipe rings than for setting shit on fire. But being pyrokinetic is kind of cool. And so that means he can also shoot light and project energy. Kind of like when he's lighting up his, you know, he's creating the light beams that you can see in the Mines of Moria and things like that. Right? Yeah. Become his own uh, flashlight. I almost said pocket lamp, but that's the German. <laughs> Because the German word for flashlight literally translates to, like, tiny pocket lamp or something like that. I love German. Uh, He can talk to animals. He also, uh, he did carry a ring of power. Oh. Is he in that opening sequence? He is. So, yes. I don't know if, I don't remember if in The Lord of the Rings he himself is in that sequence. But there were all the rings that were made and distributed, right? And he gets one of them. It is Narya, the Ring of Fire. What does he do with it? 
he's just he's just meant to protect it basically in appendix b of lord of the rings uh the ring it says the ring was entrusted to gandalf by one of the elves who was part of the last alliance of elves and men gilgalad the and apparently gilgalad realized that gandalf could make better use of the ring than he could so he basically just entrusted one of the elvish rings because Sauron gave uh, nine rings to the men and then seven to the elves and four to the dwarf lords and then kept the one for himself. So Gandalf got one of the seven elvish rings. Galadriel and Elrond also had the other elvish rings. One of them got eaten by a dragon. A couple of them disappeared. The nine were the ring raids. I don't remember what happened to the dwarvish ones. So he does have, and I guess that also helps channel some of his power. And he still has that at the time of both The Hobbit and The Lord of the yes. Rings? Yes, and when, you, when he is leaving on the ship to Valinor, uh, if you pause it at the right moment, you can see he's still wearing it. Oh. He, he just keeps it. He has it. That's kind of cool. I feel like I'm bringing my own weird bias into this, but I am so fucking curious about the dwarves. And I know that you don't have anything prepared for that. This is a wizard episode, but I'm just like, were they already there in Middle Earth? Were the the Valar like, let's dump some folks on this shore and wake them up later. And then the dwarves were like, what the fuck? We were underground and suddenly there's people up here. I don't know, but we can do the research for it. True. Okay, so there's a first age, which is where Melkor Morgoth is taking power and they come over and they're like, stop it. And then there's a second age. And what's that one? Second age is when the elves and men wake up and all of the shenanigans that happens during that period of time. And the orcs too? Yeah, and the orcs are created at that time. Okay, so that's when there starts to be a sort of extra population in... Middle Earth, and then the Third Age is—that's when the battle over the Ring happens. And the Fourth Age is the Age of Man. Yes, kind of after Sauron is defeated, Aragorn comes back to power in that era of time. Okay, I'm just trying to think about that. And and about how long do these last? Or is like the concept of years not really important? They so there's a concept of years. That I've always kind of had trouble understanding, to be honest. The Istari got sent over in Third Age, year 1000. It's one of those things where I couldn't, I could, yeah, I had trouble understanding how long these different ages were. So I um, looked up the first, second, and third age just to have a sense of time. So the first age lasted, lasted about 587 years. The second age lasted for 3,441 years. That's a big difference. That's huge. The third age uh, lasted 3,021 years. And then we don't know how long the fourth age age lasted. Fourth age, it's here. Let's see if it says... Interesting. Tolkien said that he thought the distance between the end of the third age and the 20th century AD was about 6,000 years. And that 1958 should have been around the end of the fifth age if the fourth and fifth ages were about the same length as the second and third ages. So he compared it to the own his own timeline of Earth. Yes. Huh. So 
1958 and even now i guess middle earth exists somewhere and the sixth and seventh and eighth ages are still happening so it was like he created our prehistory and now everything is men and the elves have left and the dwarves are gone and the hobbits are just like your people they're my people we'll talk about this in another episode uh the anachronisms that show up in his books i don't know there's there's debates to be had there um about his concept of himself as a translator and what translators do in books and the um, idioms that they employ to get a point across more than staying true to a specific time or place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something to be said there, but that's that's a whole different episode. This one's all about wizards. I feel like I have a better sense of Gandalf now where it's like he's a very powerful person who was told not to use his power to persuade people and therefore probably is super out of practice with using it Mm -hmm. it's kind of that aspect of like people who learn to use magic versus people who are born with it and the people who are born with it are like this is just another skill that i can employ but i don't necessarily have to i have figured out ways of living in this world where i don't need to use it well not necessarily because saruman tried to just use his power for everything right that and he used that he did that because he turned from the mission and so the thing that limits their powers is the mission that the Valar sent them on, that they couldn't use their powers for persuasion unless they wanted to fall astray. Um, that's one thing that people are always like, well, if Gandalf is so powerful, why couldn't he just go fight Sauron and get rid of the ring himself? But because Gandalf's mission is to observe and support the people of Middle-earth, he couldn't. Like he would require a major perspective shift in how he sees his role in the world if he was going to start using his powers willy-nilly. And he would completely defy the Velar, which you don't really want to do. If he wants to go back, no, certainly not. The Velar gave the Istari those restrictions because they did not want Middle-earth to be completely destroyed by war. And if the Istari went and just used their powers to try and defeat Sauron, they would have brought about this cosmic destruction because their powers are so vast with fire and lightning and telekinesis that they could literally just uproot shit and destroy Middle Earth. And so they were limited because the Valar did not want that to happen. They wanted to preserve Middle Earth. It looks like in in the movies, at least, the fact that they are old men limits those abilities, too. Because, like, if they use them too much, they look fucking exhausted. Yeah, I mean, I would be, too, if I was an old dude trying to, like, wield all this power. I'd be like, my back hurts. <laughs> I got a bloody nose. It's just brutal to watch Sir Ian McKellen get really ripped apart <laughs> in that tower. Because we love him so much. And also, I mean, if... Tolkien is basing so much of this off of our world. Like, Middle Earth is a lot like Earth. And older men, especially of, like that in that generation, there was an assumed wisdom. There was that, like, we will respect and honor an elderly gentleman. They are wise. They are knowledgeable. Like, there's still that trope surrounding it, too. Yeah, I mean, the first story he published was when he was 45. So, I mean, that was The Hobbit. And then he wrote Lord of the Rings after that. So he was already like a venerable professor. (laughs) This is his self-insert fan fiction. (laughs) He probably had his own biases in there. Also, he and... uh, What's his face? 
Oh gosh, Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. They were good friends, and they had a lot of conversations that influenced each other. The others were. Yeah. They showed up in each other's books. They did. I don't remember who J.R. Tolkien was in the Narnia books, but I remember that uh, J.R. Tolkien put C.S. Lewis in as the Ent. He's Treebeard because he was he gave him so much shit. He was like, C.S. Lewis talks so damn slow and it takes forever for him to get to the point. I'm going to make you an old, slow-talking tree. I love that they had such an... Actually, that could be a really fun podcast to talk about their friendship. Yeah. It's such a fascinating friendship. Well, this has been a good episode about wizards, so thank you for illuminating their race for me. You are welcome. Tune in next time in Finding the Glitter in the Golds, and we'll talk about some more random moments in Tolkien and go deep into linguistics and talk about, I don't even know what, all the tangents. (laughs) But yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.